0: coming up on our last session now. Um, it's been great so far. Uh, Dennis is uh, Dennis is gonna finish up and then we're gonna have um, just a real short break after Dennis finishes, so we can just get a few chairs up there and then we'll try and start the uh, Q&A right away. So there's no real scheduled break. Now we're just plowing on through till the end. So I hope you guys can hang on. And uh, Dennis, why don't you come? One, I gotta say that Mike and Brian are my favorite comedy team. Uh, I like the way Mike set it up that, that human choice is, is sinful and self-centered, and then Brian gets up and says, and go back and help yourself to your choice of dessert. You know, I found it funny, but uh, uh, anyway. Um, okay, uh, so a theology of life, culture of death, uh, a theology of informed uh, uh, response. Um, ah, there we go. How many of you have heard that this abortion question is a complex question? I mean, that, that was the whole thing with the, uh, the presidential debate with Senator Obama and, and McCain, uh, when uh, um, um, South Coast, uh, Saddleback Church. Rick Warren, thank you so much, boy. <laughs> um, you know, they, they asked, you know, when does life begin? And, and uh, Senator Obama says, well, that's above my pay scale. I really don't know. Um, and then he goes on to explain, you know, how it's a, such a complex question. Um, well, is it really, um, if the unborn is not a human being, no justification for abortion is necessary? How many people, not just women, how many people, need to go through some great moral uh, you know, uh, uh, consternation about whether or not to have their gallbladder removed? Um, if that is not a human person, then absolutely, a justification is absolutely unnecessary. However, if it is a human person, no justification is adequate. Uh, Matthew brought up that uh, a lot of the arguments that we're hearing uh, in favor of abortion these days are the exact same arguments that appeared in 1860 supporting owning human slaves. After all, they're not human. They're not fully human at least. They're subhuman. And so it's okay to possess a subhuman because they're not really human, and so it's, it's all right. It's the exact same argument that the Nazis came up with. Jews are subhuman. And so it is okay to obliterate six million of them because they're subhuman. Um, and so we don't have to justify this because they're not human beings and so no justification is necessary. But if they are human beings, and if the unborn is a human being, no justification is adequate. Uh, This is from Stand to Reason, uh, their issue of Solid Ground from uh, 1997. So, uh, Ah, there we go. Um, and Matthew already covered a lot of this, and, and so thank you Matthew for sharing some of the verses that I was gonna cover so I don't have to read them. Um, so he got to use up his time, I don't have to use up my time. But the, now this argument will presuppose a plenary verbal inspiration of scripture view, that God knew what he intended to communicate and communicated it through the biblical authors in the way that he meant to communicate it. Um, so. This is gonna kind of presuppose that for a minute, but it, 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 there is another argument that you can use for people that don't accept that. Obviously, non-believers wouldn't accept that. A lot of liberal Christians won't accept that. But, but we'll start with this one uh, really quick. Um, the unborn of the Bible starts off, okay, Genesis chapter nine. Noah and the family get off the boat. How many people are on the face of the planet at this point in time in Genesis chapter nine? You got eight people, is the entire population. So this is something that God said to the entire population of the world. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? Just as Matthew pointed out before. For in the image of God he made man. So murder, wrong, categorically, because man is made in the image of God. Don't wanna, uh, it shouldn't shouldn't murder anybody. Um, Psalm 127, three through five, behold, children are a gift of the Lord, the fruit of the the womb, not the end of the birth canal, the fruit of the womb uh, is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, they will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Um, Part of this idea that the kids are a burden, they need to murder this unborn child because it'll be a burden that is a worldview from which repentance is required. That's basically saying, God, you're a liar. This baby I'm carrying is a royal pain. This baby I'm carrying is, uh, is gonna mess up my life. No, this baby I'm carrying is a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the room is a reward. Um, okay uh, in Exodus 2122 you've got you've got this is just one verse but you've got this discussion of, of two men struggling and they accidentally uh, 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 injure a, a pregnant lady uh, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely yet there is no injury he shall surely be fined by the woman's husband uh, may demand of him he shall pay as the judges decide now it's interesting again this gets back to verbal plenary inspiration. That particular word, a woman with child. There, is, there are two other Hebrew words that could be used here if uh, God wanted Moses to explain to the Israelites that it's a fetus. He doesn't use those other two words, he uses the word child. Um, and this is, uh, shows up over and over again, most significantly in a verse that we're all gonna be hearing next month. Isaiah nine, for unto us a child is given. Exact same Hebrew word that we have in Exodus 21, 22. A child. Um, and then in Zechariah 8, five, and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls, with children, same word that we have here, playing in the streets. Um, and so clearly as Moses is laying out the law here for the children of Israel, The idea is that the unborn is a child, just like the kid playing out in the street is a child. Um, And then uh, uh, Job. um, uh, God oversees the the development. Uh, In in the womb, uh, Matthew brought up uh, Psalm 139, but also Job 31.15, did not he who made me in the womb make him Uh, And the same one fashioned us in the womb, Isaiah 49.5. And now says the Lord who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Um, And so God is overseeing the development of the small child in the womb as uh, the the little boy or girl is is developing. Um, Hosea 9 uh, is interesting. As for Ephraim, their glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Though they bring up their children, yet I will bereave them uh, until not a man is left. Woe, woe to them, indeed, uh, when I depart from them. Uh, no birth, no pregnancy, no conception. There seems to be a continuity there. Um, so, so it, conception, and then the, the, the pregnancy that follows right after that, and then the birth. Um, and then, um, Matthew brought up uh, Luke 1, 41 and 44, when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, the baby in her. Not the fetus, the baby. Again, the same word that's used over and over again throughout the rest of the New Testament to talk about a child. Uh, Most significantly uh, would be, um, uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, Luke. Uh, In the Christmas story, you know, uh, you know, tell the shepherds or to go find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Um, same word. First uh, uh, John, first, first. Excuse me. First Peter two two, as newborn babes. Same word. Desire the sincere miracle of the word. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've got this this picture in Scripture. Uh, by by the specific words that are chosen to talk about the unborn, that they are babies, they are children, uh, and they are a gift from God. Even the Didache, which is a a document that was written somewhere around 500 to 120 um, um, AD, you know, around the time of the apostles or shortly thereafter. It says, you shall not procure an abortion nor practice infanticide. The people who were closest in time to the authors of the New Testament documents came up with this, that you're not supposed to get an abortion, and it's interesting that they, they tie that to, those two together. Get an abortion or practice infanticide. Um, and, and so, you know, from the scriptures, we, we get this idea that, that life begins at conception, continues through the, the pregnancy as God is developing the baby in the womb, and then we finally get to meet the baby face to face on the birthday. Um, okay, but again, this presupposes a, a view of scripture uh, uh, that it was verbally inspired by God to say exactly what he wanted it to say. Not everybody's gonna believe that. So, uh, there is a a philosophical scientific approach as well. Um, And uh, it basically comes down to this. What would, parents, what would you say if your little boy or girl came up behind you and asked this question? What would be the first thing out of your mouth? What is it? Daddy, can I kill this? I don't know, Johnny, what is it? It's a cockroach. Go for it. I don't like him either. Um, it's my baby sister. No. <laughs> Let's not go there. You know. Um, so it, it all boils down to what is it? Um, and so uh, there's a gentleman, um, Stephen Schwartz, in a moral question about abortion. Uh, published in 1990, they came up with the SLED test. Nice little acronym to help you remember. Um, and these are the four variables that are generally cited by the, uh, the pro-choice side as why it is okay to murder the unborn baby. Uh, size, for one thing, it's so tiny. Um, and uh, another one is uh, level of development. Um, Uh, On this one, I used to, I'm I'm the youngest of my generation in my family, and so I hear people talking about playing with babies, and I would think they put the chess pieces in their mouth, they bend the playing cards, and they can't swing a bat worth spit. How do you play with a baby? You you know, so level of development is is a lot of times mentioned. Um, Environment, where's the unborn baby? It's not a trick question. In the womb, yeah, where's the born baby? Probably in grandma's arms, <laughs> you know. But different environment. Um, and then also degree of dependency. Uh, in the womb, the baby admittedly is 100% dependent upon the mother. Um, and so uh, let's, let's look at each one of these. Size, okay, that's, that's the obvious one. Uh, at conception, microscopic. Um, you need, literally need a microscope to see the um, uh, fertilized egg, um, and at the end of the first trimester, uh, 3.42 inches long, 1.52 ounces. Uh, and, and at that point, by the way, as, as Matthew pointed out, about 90% of the abortions are, are performed around this, this point uh, uh, in time, and uh, this size. Second trimester gets up to 14.8 inches, 2.22 pounds. Growing like mad, uh, third trimester, Uh, 20.28 inches, uh, 8.18 pounds. Guess what? After it travels the seven inches down the birth canal, you got a born baby that is 20.28 inches and 8.18 pounds. Um, And then you got a five-year-old, 40 inches, 42.75 pounds. Okay? And then you've got... Members of the NBA, the average height is 79.34 inches and 224.16 pounds. Okay, at what point does size become morally significant that I can murder the person? Um, We've got uh, uh, Paul Mogwright over here, probably the tallest guy in the room. So if you kill me, you get 25 years in prison, but if you kill him, you get 40 years in prison. Because he's bigger than I am, therefore he's more human than I am, his life is more valuable than mine is, and we, you can do without me, but we can't do without him. That's the logic. Um, and, and so at, at what point then do we say that this life is worth saving, and before that point, uh, we, we can discard it? Um, is size a morally significant variable in the question of whether it, or, or uh, in the question of, Daddy, can I kill it? Um, next one. Level of development. Okay, at six weeks, we've got a beating heart and we've got brain waves. So this is a month and a half after conception. We got a beating heart and we got brain waves. Um, Eight to nine weeks, we got a nervous system that may actually be able to feel pain. Um, so it, it is possible that these babies that are being aborted are actually being tortured to death because their nervous system is registering what is happening to them. Um, now this, is, this next one's interesting. This, this blew me away. At 10 weeks, you can harvest the eggs of the baby girl in the womb and use them to fertilize an infertile woman so she can have a baby. So literally at 10 weeks, a, a baby in the womb is capable of becoming a mother. And again, that's around the time we're killing, uh, killing the infants. Um, this was done at the uh, in Edinburgh. It was reported in the Journal of Medical Ethics, 1995, Volume 21, pages 298 to 304, entitled "Mommy Was a Fetus." Um, and so that's, that 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 just blew me away. Wow! It's it's the little girl is capable of becoming a mother um, by by donating an egg to be fertilized um, at. Uh, 12 weeks, all major organs and systems are in place. Um, so uh, they've got a beating heart, they've got uh, brains, they've got fingers. You saw the picture uh, that Matthew showed. Um, all all, the, all the, the necessary parts are there. Um, and uh, uh, Oops, uh, 13 weeks, the nervous system is definitely functioning at this time. So as they're carving the baby up in the mother's womb, um, the baby is actually feeling that. In fact, there are ultrasound pictures, ultrasound videos of the baby actually re- responding and, and recoiling from the instrument that's being put, brought into uh, her, uh, his environment to, to kill him or her, and they're responding to that, that stimulus. Um, and that, oh, uh, 21 weeks, six days is the earliest preemie to survive outside the womb. Um, And so that's only halfway through the pregnancy. Um, 28 weeks, uh, they're responding to stimuli. Um, At birth then, the only real big difference is that the baby's breathing on his own. Uh, Before oxygen was getting into the baby's bloodstream through the mother, Uh, now the baby is uh, going to be breathing. Um, And then when we get to be adults, we get to pay income taxes. Um, so again, at what point in the developmental process do we say that this individual is valuable? That this individual is a human person? Um, I hope it's not the last one. <laughs> but uh, you know, what what change here is morally significant that allows the the taking of a life um, without any kind of uh, you know consequences? Um, environment. That's a big one. Admit, you know, all these are, are, are facts, but when do they become morally significant? The baby before birth is, okay, in the organic incubator. Okay, what about a baby in a neonatal incubator? Can we kill that baby? Um, because they're, they're, they're still needing all of that care. They're not really functioning on their own. They're, they're needing all the stuff that the neonatal incubator can provide but they're simply outside the womb. Is that location difference morally significant? Um, somebody in an iron lung, the old-fashioned tank respirators. They can't breathe on their own. They take them out of, the, out of the iron lung, they will, they will die. This is the, 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 the usual treatment for uh, severe polio victims uh, decades ago. Um, you know, Can we off them? Um, and then a dialysis machine, on the dialysis machine, if, you, if you're not getting dialysis, your liver will cease functioning, your body will, will reach uh, critical toxic levels and you will pass away. You gotta be on the dialysis machine. Uh, Bathysphere and the International Space Station, does that change their status? By virtue of being in, in another environment that is totally self-contained, just like the womb is, um, but you know, someplace, someplace else? Uh, you know, is, is environment a morally significant enough change that would warrant uh, killing? Um, and then, degree of dependency. Admittedly, um, the unborn, totally dependent upon the mom. Absolutely dependent upon the mom. But then again, you got a newborn. All they're able to do on their own is they can breathe on their own and they can take in food on their own. They're totally dependent upon mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, for absolutely everything else. So is that level of dependency, that that change in the level of dependency, morally significant? Um, A five-year-old, mostly dependent upon mom and dad. Yeah, a five-year-old could maybe make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, um, but uh, could they make enough money to pay the mortgage? Probably not. Uh, very dependent upon mom and dad. Um, kids in college, they're totally dependent on mom and dad a lot of times. You know? And college is expensive. you know. Um, so, uh, you know, got that. And then the elderly. They may be very, very, very dependent upon family and caregivers. My dad, uh, 89 years old, and he has often said that if it weren't for my brother, myself, and the woman that comes into the house, Uh, five days a week, he would probably be dead. So is he less valuable, is he less human than somebody who is able to make money and uh, clean the house and do everything and all that kind of stuff? Frankly, I am dependent. How much of my food do I actually produce? Zero. (laughs) If Trader Joe's went out of business, I would be in a lot lot of trouble. Um, you know, I am totally dependent for some things, not, not to the same extent as an, an unborn, but I am totally dependent for many things on other people. Uh, does that make me less human? Um, and so it gets right down to, uh, on any of these levels, is the newborn or toddler significantly different, morally speaking, from the, the unborn? Um, and, and as you look at, at, at those, those variables and, and the, the stages and stuff like that, it's, it, it, what strikes me is how arbitrary we have to be. How big does a person have to be to uh, achieve um, the status of, of personhood and, uh, and protection? How big? You know, if you, if you ask 27 different uh, you know, abortion doctors, they'll probably have 27 different responses to that. Uh, all the way up to and including those that are doing partial birth abortions. Um, where there's virtually no difference in size, in weight, location only barely. Just the top of the skull is still in the birth canal. The entire rest of the baby is outside the birth canal. Um, And so when do any of these become morally significant that gives us permission to end that life? Um, I like what Planned Parenthood said. You shocked? What they said back in 1961. Abortion kills the life of a baby after it has begun. It is dangerous to your life and health. That was in the Planned Parenthood brochure of 1961. I totally agree with that. It ends the baby's life. Um, they use that word, they don't say fetus, uh, they don't say zygote, they say baby. Um, and they're totally right. Um, but they've changed their tune. Now they have, they just recently issued another statement uh, about a month, about three weeks ago, In order to completely debunk the disingenuous arguments that our opponents have been using and to reveal the true political purpose of these attacks, our Federation has decided going forward that any Planned Parenthood health center that is involved in donating tissue after an abortion for medical research will follow the model already in place at one of our two uh, affiliates currently uh, facilitating donations for fetal tissue research. The affiliate accepts no reimbursement for its reasonable expenses, even though reimbursement is fully permitted under the 1993 law. So we're being disingenuous, but they're saying, oh, but we're not going to accept money for it anymore. It's kind of a tacit admission that they were accepting money for fetal body parts. Um, so, um, but I like their 1961. Um, Statement better. Now, this is no silver bullet. I, I was talking to a guy and, and we were discussing this, and I, and I went through the, the, the sled um, argument, and, and he said, no, for him, traveling the seven inches down the birth canal was a significant enough achievement that afterward it's a baby, and before it's fetal material. Traveling seven inches, so by that logic, I am now either more human or less human than I was ten seconds ago because I've now traveled seven inches. Um, so it, it's you know it. Not everybody's going to agree with this because in our society we actually have have created not not us generally but but. Uh, Western culture in general, uh, has created a society where we really do need abortion. Because I'm pro-choice, but the choice happens earlier. Am I going to practice biblical sexuality or am I not? That's the choice, not do I get to kill what has uh, come about because of my bad choice. Uh, before, But we've decided as, as Western culture to be so thoroughly sexually out of control that we kind of, we've developed a need to be able to murder the results of our sexual immorality. Um, and so th- there's a lot of pushback uh, you know, to this. So, is it a complicated question? Well, I saw this on a t-shirt. Uh, Eskew obfuscation. Um, which basically means let's get rid of all the confusing stuff. Um, It's a matter of privacy, you'll hear that argument. It's between a woman and her doctor, or it's between a woman and her conscience, or it's between a woman and her God, or or whoever that might be. Um, Well, the same argument could be made then, so I can abuse my children provided I do it in private. Anybody agree with that statement? Even even uh, uh, pro-choice po- folks would not agree with that statement. Well, why not? Well, it's because it's a chi- it's a person. Exactly. You just made my point. If I can't beat the living daylights out of my kids because I do it in private, why is it that I can murder an unborn baby because I'm doing it in private? Um, you know, bring it bring it back to, Daddy, can I kill it? Um, it's a woman's body. Well, whoever makes this argument has never watched any of the uh, the, the crime shows that I have because they're always solving crimes using DNA. My DNA when I was in my mother's womb was vastly different from hers. My DNA was for blue eyes. My mother's DNA was for brown eyes. Um, my DNA uh, was, was actually more like my dad. I look more like my dad than I do my mom. Um, every cell in my body in utero had the Y chromosome. Not a single cell in my mother's body had the Y chromosome. Um, I'm male, she's female. That's a pretty big difference. Is that the same? Was I part of her body? Clearly not. The DNA argues against that on every point. Um, I wasn't part of her body, I was simply in her body, that's where God designed the development of human children to begin. Um, but it's, it's, not, it's not the woman's body, I'm sorry. Um, the child would be unwanted. Just the other day, I was driving down the five freeway getting off at Red Hill and there was a homeless guy with a sign, the guy made me feel guilty. I didn't want him there. Does that give me permission to kill him? Because I don't want him? Because he made me feel guilty? But that's a person, exactly! (laughs) Um, The child would be a financial burden. Any parents here? How many of us have had our children bring in as much, if not more, of their cost for the the things of life? Anybody? And you may have a child who's been doing commercials ever since they were in diapers or something, you know, the Gerber baby, you know. And uh, uh, kids are expensive, let's face it. Yeah, you get a tax break, um, which does not equal the amount that you're shelling out for the child get back to the college thing um yeah kids are expensive so my kid goes off to college i suddenly have tuition payments this is getting expensive i'm gonna off my kid <laughs> just because an individual becomes fin- a financial burden is not a moral justification for taking a life um See, these are all obfuscating. These are all trying to confuse the issue. Don't force your morality. This one's fun. It explodes on itself. You don't really have to say anything. You should not force your morality on me, but it's okay for me to force my morality on you because I don't want you to talk about any of this stuff. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's hypocritical at best, uh fraudulent at, at worst. Um, that statement is trying to force a morality on, on somebody else. Um, don't force your religion. Uh, I was uh, uh, when I worked for the fire authority. At one point, we had this big drive. We were going to all get everybody signed up for uh, United Way, uh, automatic donations and stuff like that. And the, the person came along and said, "You know, can you do you want to sign up for United Way?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I, I can't. Um, United Way supports uh, uh, Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers." And this person said, "Oh, I didn't know you were a Catholic." Um, <laughs> not a matter of being Catholic, but uh, you know, don't force your religion. Now, now that, that, that does have some feet on it. That, that, that does have a little bit of traction. But going back to Genesis 9:6, the part of this argument that I get from my religion is don't commit murder. So since I get that from Genesis chapter nine, which predates the Mosaic law, which predates Hammurabi, which predates Greek law, which predates Roman law, which predates British law, which predates American law. That proposition I get from the Bible, don't kill because man's made in God's image. Should we then remove from the penal code anything having to do with prohibiting murder? I would suggest not. The rest of it is just an extension. Um, You know, don't murder, okay? At what point can I murder? When they're too small? When they're underdeveloped? When they're in the wrong location? When they're too dependent? So, okay, if you want me to get rid of my, my, my religious aspect of this, then I then you're giving me permission to murder anybody I, I want to who is expensive, inconvenient, or in my way. Um, so, uh, you pro-lifers only care about the unborn. Th- th- if that were true, that would be terrible. That, that we're willing to let women go through unwanted pregnancies and forcing them to have babies and all this kind of stuff. And if that were true, that would be terrible. If. In our country, we've got twice as many pregnancy care centers as we have abortion clinics. That is not a true statement. As, as, as an American society, we do care about the women. We do care about their babies. We do care about their quality of life. Uh, it's not simply about saving an unborn. That's big, obviously, but, but you know we're providing a, a whole picture. Thousands died before Roe v. Wade. Um, You know, all these backstreet abortion clinics and and women were dying right and left and all that kind of stuff. Nice argument, except you check with the Centers for Disease Control. The year before Roe v. Wade went into effect and became the law of the land, 39 women died from illegal abortions. Now, admittedly, that's 39 too many, but it's not thousands. Now, they'll come back and say, oh yeah, but they were underreported. Well, okay, you can make that statement um, I've also I could also say I've got a great head of hair, but you can make the statement. But what's the data? How do you prove that all these things went unreported? Um, the the official document from the Centers for Disease Control was 39 deaths the year before Roe v. Wade went into effect. Um, so that that is not uh, that is not the case. Um, now many of us, oops, probably do know uh, men or women who have been involved in in getting an abortion. Uh, This is really becoming uh, a big problem in our country these days. Um, The the number of of women that are just crushed by the knowledge that they murdered their baby. And to a lesser extent, uh, the number of men who are crushed by the knowledge that they either uh, pushed their wife or girlfriend or whoever into getting uh, an abortion or took a totally passive role and did not protect that unborn baby. And, and the, uh, the, the human suffering that this is causing is, is tremendous. Um, and uh, a, a lot of people are going through it more and more. Um, and uh, so it's, it's really becoming a, a, almost a crisis. Um, so what do you do? Um, emphasize our wonderful Savior. Um, I love, uh, and Matthew brought this up, uh, but another passage that speaks to this so eloquently is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus, all of our sin, even that abortion, all of our sin has been placed on Jesus and the wrath of God for all of that was poured out on Christ and then when he rose from the dead, he has now given us his absolute perfect righteousness And that's the only reason that we can even stand before a holy God. And so all of that sin, all of that uh, um, guilt that that we we carry around, God has placed on Jesus and given us his his righteousness and has reconciled us to himself. Um, God's grace, I love this verse. This is becoming one of my favorite verses. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he dabbles out to us in small amounts, right? No. Which he lavishes. I love that verb. He lavishes his grace uh, upon us in all wisdom and insight. God's grace covers all of our sin, and he he lavishes his grace upon us. Uh, we are the objects of his his uh, uh, his love. Uh, also, uh, point to the cross as the antidote for guilt. Uh, another grace verse is First John, chapter three. Um, we will know by this that we are in the truth, and will assure our hearts before us in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now, there's two ways you can take that. If your heart's condemning you, God is greater than your heart. He has got more condemnation for you than you could ever possibly come up with yourself. The other way is God is greater than your heart. Your heart is condemning you. God is accepting you. God is loving you. God is embracing you. God is taking you into his family because he is greater than our hearts. So, so uh, God's grace is the antidote for guilt. Um, and also walking with them through their grief. 2 Corinthians uh, 1 you know, talks about that. That God is the God of all comfort, but a lot of times the, the medium that God uh, administers his comfort is through us. Um, let's see. Uh, Blessed uh, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Walk with them through this. You know, Hey, you know, if, if, you, if you can't get to sleep at night because you're just, consumed with guilt, give me a call, you know, um, I'll, I'll be right over, let's go, co- let's go grab some coffee, you know, walk with them through this, um, uh, as they're dealing with, uh, with all the feelings that are coming up, and then get them, uh, connected with, uh, with healthy fellowship, you know, James 1, 5, 16, you know, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed, uh, and 1st Thessalonians five eleven. you know, encourage one another, um, it's amazing how freeing it is just to be able to say to a small group of people who love you and are committed to you, I have sinned and I have sinned greatly. Uh, and, and to feel their comfort and to feel their acceptance and to feel their empathy uh, for what you're going on. So that's, that's vital as well, uh, to be involved in, um, in helping them to get to uh, a place where they can be uh, loved and cared for um, and um, And brought to the foot of the cross, um, uh, here's some more resources that that might prove helpful. Uh, the video don 't watch it right after eating uh, seriously i mean it 's watching what happens i I, I read someplace. Uh, I think it was the president of the National Association of Women who said that we need to keep the American public ignorant of what happens in an abortion because if they really knew what was done, there is no way anybody would support it. Um, it's, it is gruesome, um, but uh, there's a lot of good information there. Uh, for me personally, I think it would better, be better to make abortion unthinkable than to make it illegal. Um, I did a little research this afternoon. Uh, The Fifth Amendment of the Constitution was adopted by Congress in 1791. The earliest incident I could find of anybody pleading the Fifth was 1892, 101 years earlier. It was on the books, but nobody used it for 101 years. Wouldn't that be neat if that's the way abortion was? Oh yeah, I can get one, but nobody gets them. It's just unthinkable uh, because it's taking an innocent human life um, and uh, literally butching it. If I if I did to a frog what was what is done to a baby in an abortion, PETA would be waiting right out that side that those doors with tar and feathers. So it uh, no no justification is adequate if it's a human baby who is a person.